Welcome to Chief Evangelist. I'm your host, Ethan Butte. I'm on a mission to explore and understand the role of the Chief Evangelist and the movement behind it. How should founders, investors, and C-suites be thinking about it? How does it benefit the company? Which companies and markets need evangelism most? What does the work involve? What does success look like? And who's a good fit as a chief evangelist? That's what we're exploring at chiefevangelist.com and in conversations like this one, which is brought to you by Ringmaster Conversational Marketing and their evangelist-powered podcasting package. Learn more at ringmaster.com. Today, we're learning from the chief evangelist at School Mint, a team that's now six times bigger than when he joined them seven years ago. He's got more than 15 years of experience in ed tech, including more than a decade with Apple, building partnerships with school and district leaders. Matt Coates, welcome to Chief Evangelist. Hey, thanks, Ethan. Really glad to be here. Yeah, happy to have you. I love your story. I can't wait to get into the innovation that you all are bringing to um, you know, the status quo in the, it, with the people you serve. Uh, but I'm going to start with the most important job of a chief evangelist. When I offer that, what comes to mind? You know, I'm, I'm, I, I know a lot of the other candidates or the other folks that have been on your show um, have talked about the advocacy, internal and external. Um, and I think that's all great. But I, I would think that the most important role of a chief evangelist is to be an innovator. Um, I really believe this is like the key role that I play. Um, and it's the the number one thing that can have a positive impact on a company's trajectory um, as a chief evangelist. And so being innovative, having the space to innovate and really thinking about problems that your company can solve through innovation uh, is really what I try to think of as the most important job that I play uh, at SchoolMint. Love it. I can't wait to dive into some of the practical, tactical of, um, and, I, and I love that you teed it up with the uh, internal, external, because I feel like that's part of this too. Like, and part of what I heard in that is um, I'm out in market, I'm engaging with our customers and our potential customers. I know what they really think. I know what they really say. I know how they're working with what they're providing, what we're providing them now, or I know what uh, they're doing with um, you know, perhaps offerings from other competitors. And so I'm bringing this in to strategic conversations internally. I might be bringing it into the product team. Uh, I might be bringing some of the language or, or opportunities into the marketing team. Um, and so this is the inside outside dynamic in play when you talk about innovation in this way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, when I think about the most important things in that innovation space that I can do, um, it is a lot about being the voice of the customer internally, but it's also about convincing all of the internal teams uh, that the direction that the ship is headed is the right one and, and that this innovation that we're doing uh, is worth their continued investment of time. You know, very conscientious these days that people have a choice on where they work and, you know, we want to be doing things that have a positive impact and, you know, in our space, certainly in education, we have this ability to really not only do good for students and kids, but also all of the staff members and the people that work in schools that are so overworked and underappreciated today. And so when I think about, you know, what it, what it takes in my role, um, yes, I want to be good stewards of the company. I want to be good stewards for our partners. Um, but I want to make sure I'm reminding people on a daily basis that the work we do matters um, through those customer voices, through the results that we're seeing, 
Um, and I think that's a really key piece to this sort of internal external concept that we hear so many other chief evangelists talk about. Um, and it's something that I really try to embody in the work that I do. Man, I love this attention to employee experience and most importantly, purpose, um, the purpose and meaning in our work and that the idea that it's not just going to happen by default. I mean, sometimes like depending on what you use, I mean, I've used Slack, I've used some other products for like internal communication um, on whole. Um, but in general, I this idea of a, a person who has the time and space and already has access to a lot of really great stories um, and a broader perspective, a depth of expertise, bringing that internally, I think is, um, is a huge, huge value. Um, okay. I when we'll probably double back into that. Like I want to get into some of like, what does that look like tactically? Are you doing like, you know, something I used to do was, uh, you know, uh, every other month, like voluntary lunch and learns where I had rounded up some new ideas and frameworks or something. And, you know, you put it on everyone's calendar and maybe they show up, maybe they don't. It's, I mean, it's all elective, but, I'm curious to know what that looks like tactically, but I'd love to kind of start um, at the beginning of this current story that you're in, which is how you found Schoolmint or how they found you. Like, how did this thing even come to be? Yeah, I mean, it's you're always one degree of separation from your new job, right? And so um, as it turned out, uh, you know, I had a, a, a previous manager who had taken this role of this little tiny startup company at the time. Um, and at the time, I had actually just started a new job someplace else and uh, had not really worked too much in the startup space. And he was he was begging me to come over and, and take this job. And I'm like, no, y'all are too small. You're not ready for me yet. Um, and it was kind of funny because, you know, I probably waited six months um, and moved from being what would have probably been about the 25th employee to being about the 40th employee. I'm glad I did it because I really felt like I came in at an absolutely perfect time for me. But there were so many things about my hiring, uh, which at the time was in a sales-oriented role, that were new to this little small company. Um, you know, I was the very first remote employee that they hired, which was a huge leap of faith from the two co-founders uh, that hired me on. It's a husband and wife duo who started this company, um, and I remember the consternation that went into that decision. But honestly, it was very endearing for me because when they finally said yes, uh, you know, I realized that not only do I have an opportunity to sort of pave a new trail here within the organization as the first remote employee, like I have an obligation to, to do well by the next people who would like to come in as remote employees. But what an opportunity that like two co-founders believed enough in me that they would have offered me that type of a role. Um, and so I felt like immediately, you know, I had a little equity both in the emotional part of it, but also then also in the company as well. And so I think that was a really sort of special way to start. And it sort of taught me that, you know, this was gonna be something different um, joining on at Schoolmint. And uh, it certainly has been uh, a, a different journey, but. Again, I very much started out as a sales capacity. Um, they wanted to grow business in big and large districts, and I had a lot of experience doing that. Um, the role has certainly evolved since then, and uh, excited to share more about that. Cool. Um, okay, when you shifted to, sorry, was your title 
What was your title on the way in? Like, yeah, I, I mean, uh, I was uh, I was a sales district director. sales super boss, yeah, exactly, like, pretty much. <laughs> um, and you know, it was, it was very different because you're not you're not in the office. You know, I did live nearby, so I could come in from time to time. But um, again, it was like one of those things where there was a lot of trust that was involved in it. And so, starting out in the sales capacity, my manager knew me from previous roles, so that was a huge boost. But yeah, I mean, my first cutting my teeth was going out and trying to sell, you know, customers that had never heard of this little tiny company on this idea about centrally managing enrollment online. And that concept back in 2016, 2017 was not a common concept. Uh, so it was developing a whole new market that had already taken off a little bit in the charter space, but in the big district space where I was really my specialty, no market penetration. Really interesting. Okay, so when did it dawn on you or the people that you worked with that um, you should shift into, you know, I, I think of sales as demand capture, um, marketing and sales as, as a form of demand capture. And I think of evangelism primarily as like a true, pure demand generation. And it sounds like that's what's going on here. Like you, your ideal customer doesn't quite understand the problem that you're solving, or they maybe know the problem, they don't have a name for it or recognize that there's even a solution for it. And so like, I, what I'm hearing here is like, a, I need to shift into a true demand general. Is this something you observed? Um, how did you shift out of sales and into a more of a pure play evangelist role? Yeah, this actually brings up a really great story that I love to tell um, because it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun and it's kind of an interesting idea, right? So we started out as this company that was just making the enrollment or school choice process easier for families and administrators to facilitate. So when you're going to register your kid for school, you can do it all online and it's super easy, right? Well, in around 2017, 2018, we started to see more and more competition in the enrollment marketplace, which means there was more charter schools, private schools were continuing to grow, home schools had really the barely infancy of it, but we've of course seen that grow since then. And so there was this new idea about like, there are new challenges in the market. Um, and I remember being in a room with a couple of my colleagues and we were talking about like, what is the five-year, 10-year vision for us as an organization? And, you know, we looked at the market changes that were taking place and we said, gosh, it's not going to be enough for us to just manage enrollment. We need to do more to actually have an impact on it. And that's when we really sat down and said, gosh, if we can not only help enroll students, but also help attract and retain them, we've got something really special. And so in that room, we sort of mapped out what is the five, 10 year trajectory for us as an organization focused on helping school districts and schools attract, enroll and retain students. It was in that moment that I realized I had something beyond just selling a solution to folks. Um, and I think that's when most folks started to sort of realize we need somebody that's going to go out and sell this concept. It's not about selling a product or a thing, right? We need to sell this idea to the market because while charter schools and private schools have been doing this for a long time, as of universities, this is going to be a completely blow your mind concept for school districts. And it truly has fallen into that category because virtually every day I'm having conversations with folks and bringing up this concept of like, hey, if you can enroll more students, you get more money. Like that baseline level is still pretty new to them, but like how you do that and like, is this an investment we wanna make? is still like takes every day bit of effort from me to try to teach this market about this idea that is going to literally 
help them in so many different ways. And so I think it was in that moment when we started to design this concept of strategic enrollment management that I realized there was a lot more to offer than just being in a sales capacity. I think others realized that too. And so um, your past experience, your perspective, all the time you had spent with your uh, your ideal buyers of, of Schoolmint uh, blended with your experience out in the field trying to sell it um, led to you being part of this conversation. It dawns on you that we have a, a truly new concept. There's some collective understanding that the market is not prepared for that concept. And like we need to seed the market with these ideas and some uh, excitement, some buy-in, some aha moments, some light bulbs. And that's going to require a different role. Like, did you pitch the role? (laughs) What I want to do now is like, like the role in the title, like, like, so you're all on the same page. This is our five to 10 year vision. This is something that they need that they don't really have yet, but they don't understand why they need it or, or some of the core concepts underneath it. Did you pitch a shift in the role or was that like a collective, like, you're the guy to go out and make this happen. And then our salespeople will kind of come in behind you as appropriate. Like, how did this come to be a role for you personally? And how did it come to be titled chief evangelist? Well, I I think uh, any salespeople that are on this call that are listening will appreciate the fact that I, there was a time in my career when having a number attached to my head felt great, right? But there's also a time in your career when it's like, I am really tired of this. (laughs) And so, you know, you you have all these fantasies about like, well, how how could I essentially do a sales role without being tied to one particular number in order for me to to make money and have fun, right? And it was really in that thought process that I said, gosh, what I want to do is I want to go out and be with customers. I want to be innovative. I want to bring ideas back. I want to develop these new products and services that we're going to offer but I don't want to be the one that's out there just pitching it by myself, right? And I I don't remember exactly who told me at one point the word chief evangelist, um, but it stuck with me so dearly because I, and listen, I pitched it for probably a year and a half before somebody took off with it. Um, but it was, it was like, this is exactly what I want to do. I want to be out here preaching the good word about what we're doing and teaching people and educating the market and developing this whole new idea. Um, and, you know, it, it sort of, it, it certainly was by my impetus that I put the words then finally in the CEO's mouth. I was like, you need a chief evangelist. And I'm thrilled that after a little while, um, he decided to take me up on that and uh, and make it official. And so it's been official for the last several years and um, it's it's been a lot of fun. Cool. What was that year and a half like? I mean, because because what a few of the words you offered there are words I've heard from a number of people before. Like, this is something I know we need. This is something I know that I'm uniquely prepared to do. I have the expertise. I have the sincerity. I have the passion. This would be a great fit role, and I would love to do this. And I know it would be helpful. But there's a gap between you knowing intuitively and feeling and starting to express all of these things and someone else understanding it. Essentially, you need to evangelize the role before you can evangelize, you know, uh, on behalf of the company. Um, what was that year and a half like? What were some of the, like, the um, the hurdles? Not necessarily there were people blocking it, but just like, I'm not quite there yet. Um, I don't quite, uh, like, what was that year and a half like? And what were some of the things you needed to knock down and how did that go? Repetition is helpful, um, continuing to put that in front of people. Um, but I th- also think like, 
continuing to demonstrate what this looks like, even within my current capac the current capacity of my role, right? So especially being the voice of the customer, especially bringing back direct market feedback and feeding that into our teams, um, especially, you know, again, being in that room, being able to be the one of the very first people to articulate this concept that we were trying to take to market was really probably the key thing, right? Um, having having come up with a lot of the idea and then being completely bought into it, it's very easy to sort of already have that that preacher mentality of wanting to go and convince others, right? And, you know, I, I joke a lot because it's like, you know, I, I talk to a lot of school districts, you say you're a chief evangelist, you know, they say, oh, is that a religious title? You know, it's, but it, it, it almost is, right? Like, I'm trying to teach you to come over to my cult and it's going to be great, right? Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, it took a long time of demonstrating what the actions were before I could really convince folks that the title warranted um, this new elevation. You know, the other thing that came with this, though, was a, a move to the senior leadership team. And I think that was um, something that also took a lot of time in order for, you know, me to have enough cultural capital within the organization that um, warranted a seat. Because, again, most companies don't have this role. Most companies, um, you know, I'm not sure they put it on the senior leadership level. Um, but the fact that it, 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 we were able to make it so that it was, I think, is something that's noteworthy when other think people are thinking about this, right? Like if you don't have that top line level lens and can be this voice in these meetings so that folks can really hear what's happening in the market so that folks can really understand the innovation that you're trying to bring forward, um, it might be challenging to convince folks uh, that it's worth it. Yeah, I agree with you completely that it needs a seat in the senior leadership team, maybe not the executive leadership team, like the tight, tight circle. But I think, and it's not, it is partly for your benefit as the chief evangelist, but I also think it's it's primarily for the benefit of the rest of the company. I mean, as the voice for where we're going, um, kind of the human embodiment and human expression of that, like that needs to be present in a lot of rooms. Um and, you know, different personalities can take the role on. Mine was always a, a little bit um, devil's advocate or provocative mm -hmm. question type person, maybe pushing back on some of the um, data that's being presented as if the answer is in the data. But in fact, there's another way to consider that data. Like there's another story that you could tell off of this. And like, it's important that we all know that. Like a lot of these things that you that that you know as kind of the the holder of so many of these key ideas um, and obviously a unique talent for expressing them. Two questions about that transition. You can take them in either order. One, what was reporting like before as a as formally as a salesperson? And then what is it now? Um, you mentioned the move to the senior, senior leadership team, which kind of triggered that for me. Like how did reporting shift? And then also to any depth that you want to, because everyone wants to know all the time. Um, and I'm just generally too sheepish to ask people like directly, how did compensation change? And I think it's especially interesting for you um, coming from sales. Like if you're the big district guy with a lot of relationships and you came in to sell, I assume that you, uh, you know, are, are compensated differently than that. Or in general, I would say in most software companies, um, you know, a big account salesperson is paid differently than a chief evangelist. So um, how did those transitions go for you in whatever order you prefer, net, whatever depth you prefer? 
Yeah, of course. Um, I, you know, certainly when I was uh, in the sales leadership role, um, I reported to the VP of sales uh, under the chief revenue officer. Um, and I think that's very pretty typical for for that type of an enterprise sales role, um, especially when we were really small. We didn't really even have a whole enterprise team yet. Right now we have an, an enterprise team and a lot more team structure around that. Um, the transition to the chief evangelist, you know, in, in the for a, a short initial period, I was still reporting to the chief revenue officer. Um, and I think we started to realize there was a lot more um, voice that was needed from my type of role in more senior leadership conversations that transcended just revenue. And so that's when the elevation to the to the executive team really came. And, and it came in the form of wanting to have that customer voice and that voice of innovation that could span across customer experience and product um, and, and even into, you know, departments that would be less typical, right? Um, into conversations with finance about how do we how do we structure these things or how do we position these so that they work for our partners, um, you know that that is really how it has shifted at this point. I think when we talk about compensation, you know, certainly something that I think most folks know is that as a salesperson, you're pretty well compensated, um, you know, and and that's certainly something that um, you know I was able to take my compensation package with me into the chief evangelist role. And what's been sort of interesting is that. Um, you know, I've, I've essentially kept the same mix of variable and, and base comp compensation, which has been somewhat interesting. Um, and the variable compensation is tied exclusively to us on an annual revenue number. So um, it is still very much feels like a sales role. And I still have a lot of, a, you know, a motivation around helping our sales team and around helping product come up with the right solutions and finance, find the right prices for them. And so I still very much have a lot of skin in the game. And I actually think that's been a really good thing for me. And when other people are considering the role or when other companies are considering adding this role, I think you need to have something that's really very clearly defined around how you motivate folks uh, in a way that benefits the company. I would not think that a lot of MBOs um, or things that were sort of qualitative would move the needle as much as you know you need to you need to help us drive revenue. Um, and I I've got a couple more stories around that that I'm happy to share. But um, sure, yeah, well, when, it, whichever one's top of mind, let's go with that. Yeah, of course. I mean, certainly one of the most interesting ones has been recently uh, we have been doing um, a lot of student recruitment work. Uh, as it relates to attracting more students and increasing enrollment for our school district partners. Um, and we saw this opportunity through customer needs around teacher and staff recruitment. And, you know, when we started to analyze me and the advertising team, like what would it take to do staff and teacher advertising? It was a, not a big leap. Um, it was the same kind of concepts. We could apply some new innovative thoughts to this. Um, and so when we talk about like the innovation piece of this, this is where I think the chief evangelist role for me is the part about my role that I love, which is that I have a list of ingredients that our company does well. And my job is to say, okay, of these ingredients, how can I mix them together to make something new that'll drive greater revenue for us as an organization? So this is again, where you have that motivation around driving revenue mixed with an ability to be creative and innovative and so what essentially we've come up with is this idea around teacher and staff recruitment. 
And, you know, I'm very happy to say it's taken off substantially and is an entire new revenue stream for us as an organization um, that I don't think most pro people thought we could do, but it was really about just truly and deeply understanding what it is that we do well, what it is our customers need, and then trying to come up with something that would mix together in such a way that it would be pleasant and appetizing for our customers and that they would want to pay for it. Um, so I don't really think of that as sales. I think of that as innovation and chief evangelism. Um, I'm not sure that's what everybody's concept would be around that, but it's definitely how I think about it. Uh, first of all, fantastic analogy um, to, you know, laying the ingredients out and turning them into other things and making it uh, appetizing was the thing that really like iced that for me. That was really well done. Um, and, uh, and it's a great example um, of how this kind of inside out, outside in piece works. Um, let's break down, like, like what does a good week, month, quarter look like for you? Like as you were shaping this role up, like you're pitching this role for some time, I assume that um, there might've been some like off ramp for quota and it would, and you shifted into this is now like, I'm already doing some of these things. Now I'm doing these things a lot more often. Like in fact, full-time now as chief evangelist, like, what was that list of um, activities, responsibilities, deliverables that you couldn't really get to when you were kind of starting to do more evangelism type work while you were still in a sales capacity? Like, um, what did that initial scorecard or job description or task list or outcomes list look like? Um, and uh, like initially in the shift, then what does that look like today? Yeah, I mean, I, obviously there's things that had to come off and things that got added on. And so it's yeah. probably easier to start with the things that had to come off, right? So I, I knew that like outbounding and generating new leads and doing the initial qualification of those leads and managing them through the sales process, like that had to come off immediately. Um, and luckily we have a really strong and wonderful sales team that's here that was able to pick up that slack um, very easily. Um, but what it allowed me to add on was like all of this customer facing stuff that I had been dabbling in a little bit, but didn't have the bandwidth to do because I was so focused on driving revenue for my own number. And so when we started to make that shift, you know, it allowed me to go to a lot more conferences. It allowed me to do more just customer health visits um, in partnership with our customer experience team. Um, you know, I, I, I partly runs a lot of our QBRs then sometimes for customers too, because it allows me to really not only get the pulse of what that customer experience is like right now, but also resell them on, you know, this, this concept and this, this model that we're trying to bring uh, into the market. And so it's really given me the opportunity to be a lot more customer facing and out in the market. I'm on the road probably three weeks a month, which is a lot. Um, but it's, I think that's really important. I don't think I could be as strong of a customer advocate if I wasn't having those conversations on a virtually daily basis. And I think that's critical in, in sort of this, this role for my capacity. I think there's one other thing though, that, um, I have the privilege of being able to do in this role, which is just spend some time thinking. Um, and I know that kind of sounds kind of wishy-washy as an answer, but like I literally have some blocks of time carved out where I'm just noodling on some ideas, putting together some business plans that never see the light of day for different ideas and concepts 
you know, sometimes there will be a couple of people in the company that get to see the early things that I'm like, just having some wild ideas about. Um, and I try not to let the cat out of the bag too early because sometimes people get very excited and they want to like dig into it. I'm like, no, we're not ready for that yet. Um, but just having that time and the trust that I have from the leadership team to take that time and know that there are good things that are going to come out of it, um, I think is the thing that had been, you know, in addition to working with customers, which I love, but like that time to noodle is just super valuable for me. And it's something that I think when you think about this role um, and you have a focus on innovation, like if you don't have the time to do that, it's probably not going to be very successful for you. Um, and I, I think the other big thing is like, I'm a workaholic, right? Uh, I don't be a workaholic because I need to be. I actually do it because I just really love it. Um, and I'm so invested in this work and in these partners that we have. And I just continue to want to think about all of the different ways that we can solve these massive challenges that they have. Hey, thanks for listening to Chief Evangelist. For so many reasons, podcasting is a great opportunity and channel for evangelism. If you've been thinking about a podcast or you want to shift production and promotion to a team that's especially evangelist friendly, check out ringmaster.com. Their Connect Engage Scale program is designed for evangelist powered podcasting for software and tech companies in the growth stage. Again, you can learn more at ringmaster.com. They're also the team behind this podcast. Speaking of Chief Evangelist, let's get back to it. And I, I struggle very much personally to give myself permission to have that time, like to put that on my calendar. Um, so I appreciate that. You gave me a little bit of permission to do that. I feel like um, in these three weeks, uh, a month approximately of travel, um, my assumption is that, or what I, what I feel like I've heard from you is that the vast majority of that is really a lot of direct customer contact. Is there any piece just go, kind of going back to this idea that we're um, introducing um, an approach, um, a philosophy, a set of practices or strategies, maybe even the tool sets themselves that are a little bit um, fresh to the status quo, not like necessarily um, against the status quo, but like people aren't thinking or operating this way. Uh, how much of that time is more formal, like I'm on a panel, I'm on a stage, I'm formally presenting things um, whether that's in like a, you know, a, a conference type setting, or even whether it's like this significant school district that we only have a little bit of penetration with, for example, it sounds like you have like multiple product offerings for any one customer. You know, they have one of our products. I'm going to actually go out and on site, hang out with them, talk about them. But I'm also have an opportunity to like formally present some ideas, um, you know, in some kind of a semi-formal setting, even if it's kind of a closed private audience, like how much of that travel time is for formal and semi-formal presentation versus connection, engagement, conversation, discovery? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and when I'm on the road, there are generally like three types of meetings that I'm having. And I think you kind of touched on them, um, but I'll, I'll sort of bring them up again. There's definitely the direct customer interaction in a formal setting. So an example of this would be like an RFP presentation or something that's, you know, we, we one of our sales team members got a lead. Uh, it's with like the executive leadership cabinet at a district. Like those meetings are still a great time to bring me out because 
I have the ability to really convince an entire room um, that this new idea is something that they should be thinking about and convincing them of. Um, you know, just recently, I'll give you one quick example of, of what that looks like, right? So uh, we ended up after a conference getting a chance to meet with the school district and um, they had three cabinet members on that call that had, you know, never uh, interacted with us in the past. Um, and, you know, I always like to start out our meetings, absolutely nothing about us as a company, entirely about like the market and how it's changing. And it's not the usual like, hey, the market's changing, you need to change. It's like, it's talking about your organizational structure today is designed to get the results that it's designed for. And what I mean by that is like, you're not gonna do anything different unless you have a desire to change. And it's like that initial set the tone of the meeting for like, do you have a desire to change? How important is this for you? Um, and I have, especially with the chief evangelist title, this sort of ability to come in and poke at that sort of like painful wound and it still be received pretty friendly um, that I think a, a lot of other roles and other capacities would not have it. So that's like a definite reason why I think a lot of these meetings I'm invited to because I can come in and do that in a friendly and positive way. So we've got those formal interactions, definitely the informal interactions. So this is where We've got a lot of different relationships with different partners. I love going and saying, hey, let's let's go get coffee. Can I get you out of the office and just talk candidly? And a lot of times those conversations, they center a little bit about like what's happening with our partnership, but it's more about like what's happening right now for you as an organization, for you as a leader in a big district, for instance, like what are the major pains that you're feeling? It's really trying to get a pulse for what is emerging? What are the things that I should be thinking about? And, you know, the third type of interaction is generally at conferences. And whether that is, you know, presenting on a panel or in, in a separate session, I will say uh, other ed tech people will definitely appreciate this. It is getting harder and harder for anybody that has a business attached to your name to get one of these speaking slots. It's either extremely expensive at this point, or people just don't They've had a bad taste in their mouth because somebody else used it as a sales pitch and it's just getting more and more difficult. So if you're listening to this and you're you're using this as a sales pitch, please stop. Please stop making it more difficult for the rest of us. Um, but those are great moments. But I actually think that, again, being in the sessions that are not mine, um, being able to be there and to listen to the detail aspects of the pains that people are feeling to be able to actually ask afterwards some probing questions that'll help me develop these ideas more um, is probably, again, the most one of the most valuable things about being out in the market on a regular basis. So really those three things, conferences, direct formal presentations and interactions with customers, and then this sort of informal grab coffee, get a pulse check for how are you doing? You know, what kind of things can I do to help? Yeah, really good. And yeah, 100%. I We've all been, anyone listening to this show has been to some type of a conference where we're like, how much did this person pay to get on the stage? And will they ever get that opportunity again? Because this is just like, and a lot of them are like really bad presenters too. Like, it's one thing to come up and just, just straight pitch in a setting that is not a pitch setting. It's another thing to do it like putting the wrong person up there to do it. It's so much bad stuff there. Uh, let's flip this. I actually have three follow-up questions here, but I guess the one I'll go with here is let's flip this inside. Um, what do your engagements look like inside? I love what you shared off the top about 
reminding people of purpose, bringing examples and bringing it to life that the work that you do matters because it's easy for you to be holed up and like deep in the code or, you know, solving a bunch of like tickets, you know, <laughs> a ceaseless end, uh, sorry, ceaseless stream of, uh, of tickets or calls or chats or whatever. Um, and it's easy to lose sight of the fact that what we're doing is different. It is better. It is helping people. This is making a massive difference in the lives of all kinds of people. Um, so I love that. Like, what does that look like? How, like, what amount of time do you spend? And maybe if you can categorize the same way you did some of your external engagements, um, what are a few of the different ways that you, um, you know, make sure this message in spirit is alive internally? Yeah. You know, luckily I, I, I have a CEO that's a great storyteller. Um, and so I don't really need to supplant anything there as far as being able to tell the story of our purpose or our company. I, I still do uh, have the opportunity to do some of that at all company meetings um, and like, you know, our annual kickoff. Um, and I, I really value those, but it's not the area where I think I have the most impact because we have such a strong storyteller at the top. I think where people can hear about the success that the tools are having in the marketplace, especially with not just data, which we have, but like more of the anecdotal around, hey, you know, I had this partner that said, you've saved me 100 hours because this tool works in this particular way. Those, I think, are the moments when the product folks in particular, the customer experience folks who are really heads down most of the time, grinding through a bunch of stuff, it's really hard to see the forest through the trees in those moments. But I think that as the chief evangelist, you know, as a part of this sort of recommitting everyone to this work, being able to show the impact that it's having is sort of the critical piece. And I would think that's the majority of what I try to bring to the table. Um, and it aligns to a lot of the external work that I do, right? So one of the things that I've recently started doing was actually doing formal customer interviews. I'm going to put that in air quotes. Uh, but it's essentially me sitting down at, you know, with a, a series of questions that help guide the conversation, but just a conversation about like what's working, what's not. Um, and a lot of times in those conversations, you're going to get some great nuggets from folks about the different impacts that it's had. You know, we're not perfect. Um, you know, we're a company that's, that is, is not without our own faults and mistakes. Um, but we are an organization that owns that. Um, and I think that builds more trust with our partners. Um, and I think that's another sort of important aspect of this work and that what gives those customers, those partners, um, confidence that they can share the successes. Um, and it not go to our heads, for instance. <laughs> um, but definitely that internal conversations around what it is that we're having an impact on uh, is probably the most crucial piece. Now, the day-to-day -day is still very much about uh, helping our customer experience team, for instance, have a baseline level conversation about cross-sell, for instance. Like, you need to continue to reintroduce this overarching concept of what we do on virtually every call. So like, it's not a sales conversation to get on that kickoff call with the, with one of the new partners that we have and reconvince them that what they just spent money on is worth continuing on day one. Right. And it's like, every time you have a little interaction, you sort of need to tie it back to, this is why we're doing it. And for people that don't have a sort of a natural evangelism sales instinct in them, that's a really new concept, but it's super important to continue to recommit 
our partners to that work and our internal teams to that work. So again, kind of break it down into those two main categories. Yeah, very well done. Uh, And yes, I mean, reselling is a thing like all the time. In addition, especially on a kickoff call, um, the per, the people on that call very often aren't necessarily aren't the decision maker. Nope. The decision makers not even on that call. So like <laughs> these are all new people. Like it's so easy to take that for granted. Um, and I love that you're engaged in that work as well. Um, essentially reselling to the people who need to resell. You know, and like just that ladder up, ladder up, ladder up. Um, no matter which products they're getting uh, onboarded into, it ladders up to the same kind of, this is the direction we're all going and this is why we're all in relationship and this is why we're all on this call together. Um, How much of all of these insights and market observations and stories and data and examples are you publishing um, for folks listening in a podcast app? I just air quoted that. You know, how much of it are you publishing, whether it's in, you know, uh, you know, reports or roundups or slide decks or social or blog posts or whatever? Like how much of it are you kind of buttoning it up in other ways? Yeah, I mean, we we certainly do, you know, internally and externally, we do a lot of case studies about the work that we do. Um, I find that probably the the area that the medium that I prefer the most is is writing a blog post or a social post. Um, I, I think that there are, I mean, I don't know about others that are writing posts these days, but it is uh, amazing to me how uh, the post that you never think is gonna get any traction is the one that does. Um, and man, I put some, a lot of thought into some of some very innovative topics that I've shared on social and, and have gotten a total of four likes uh, for a lot of that content. But it's still the medium that I like, and it's still probably the place, especially LinkedIn, uh, where I share a lot of it. I have tried to move a lot of my work um, over to our company blog so that there's can sort of live there uh, in perpetuity. Um, but, you know, some of the stuff that I write about, um, I try to think about like what's coming, where, where, where are you going to have to skate to? Where's the puck going to be? Um, so, you know, one of the concepts that I'm sure some folks would be aware of is, uh, you know, this ruling that came down from, uh, Harvard university around using race, uh, in admissions. And, you know, you might at the surface say, well, gosh, you know, you're working with school districts, not universities, you know, how is this, this concept going to impact you? Um, and, you know, you start to then dig into it. You look at case cases that are currently going through appeals courts and things like that. And you realize, wow, there's there's a few K-12 cases that are in here. OK, so now if we're talking about student admissions, which is exactly the work that we do, what do I need to do to prepare my customers for what's coming? So those are the kinds of topics that I like to write about. Um, and I think that's the stuff that gets me the most excited because you're really trying to be the leading edge of a voice in a market that has very few voices in it, to be very candid with you. Um, and that's, you know, something that I think has a long-term impact. So when somebody comes a year from now and realizes that we wrote about this a year ago, um, and gosh, you know, that's a, not a great, I mean, it's a great opportunity for Schoolman to build its brand. It's a good opportunity for me personally to build my brand. You know, I plan to be on this space for a little while. Um, and I think this is also helping the market in a way that, a lot of people might not realize right now, but they might realize down the road. Awesome. Uh, by the way, for folks watching or listening, if you want to read some of Matt's stuff on LinkedIn, it's Matthew Coates, C-O-A-T-S, um, spelled like the coat that you put on, except <laughs> plural. Um, and I'm Ethan Butte, last name is spelled B-E-U-T-E. You probably publish more there than I do. Um, I've kind of fallen out of it uh, a little bit. Um, 
but I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, success. Like I've heard you say that, um, uh, you obviously have a great relationship with the co-founders and, uh, this, I assume one of the two co-founders is CEO may not be a safe assumption. Um, but, uh, it, I've heard, I've heard you use the word trust. Like they trust me, they trust my judgment. Like this, this idea that I can go off and develop business plans that, their time may not come ever, or they may not come for six months or 12 months or 18 months, or it may morph into something else. Like, um, I hear this kind of trusted environment, but are there, um, formal measures for yourself or for anyone else around you to say, um, we're successful here. Like we want to move this by 20% or we want X number of these things. Like, do you have any, like, measures for success for your work for yourself or structurally? I think the measures of success based on the fact that I came from a sales role are still very revenue oriented. Um, when I think about annual performance review, for instance, it's going to be mostly focused on, did we hit our numbers as a company? As time has gone by, I think there are more sort of qualitative measures of success. You know, are we innovating new product lines? Are the current product lines that we have uh, meeting customer needs? But again, at the at the baseline level, it's still a revenue uh, orientation. And I doubt that will ever change um, because I personally believe so much in the fact that the chief evangelist's capacity is really oriented around driving greater company growth because I'm an equity holder, right? Like I want to see this organization be successful and all of the things that we've talked about today, even the stuff that never sees the light of day contribute positively to the growth of us as an organization. And, you know, I would, I would say something else that's interesting that you kind of reminded me of is we have an organization that has trusted me, but that trust extends beyond trusting that the time that I'm spending is used wisely. It's also the trust that, you know, we can fail. Um, and I think this is a really important thing about what we've built here at Schoolman, but also a piece of the culture that would sort of have to exist for you to be successful if you were trying to be an innovative chief evangelist, which is that we've brought things to market that didn't work. Um, and, you know, I definitely wanted to be self-aware enough to say, okay, is this scalable? Is this something we want to do again? Um, and there have been more than one occasion where it has not been something that we want to keep doing. But, you know, did we lose money on it? No. Uh, was it super interesting? Absolutely. Did we learn a lot? Absolutely. Um, but that trust goes beyond just, hey, we trust that Matt's doing the right thing because we need to, we don't need to look at his calendar, right? The trust is we're going to be self-aware enough to say this worked or this didn't in a fairly quick amount of time. Uh, so fail fast, I think, is sort of the key piece there. And be know that the failing is going to be a learning opportunity and that you'll have the trust to continue to press forward. That's awesome. You're obviously in a great uh, environment and a great culture when you can say those things about the the space that you're in, especially because I heard a, like an element of uh, teamwork in there too. Like we know when it's time to pull the plug and we know when it's time to double down. Um, you're right at the edge of it. And it's something I, I tend to uh, ask uh, on most of these conversations, which is 
you know, I would assume that like a lot of other chief evangelists, people around you, not not just customers and, and people inside the organization are like, tell me more about that. What's the chief evangelist? Um, to the degree that's, that that's happened, um, kind of what advice or what questions would you follow on with if some if someone from really any industry um, wanted to know, like, should we have an evangelist or what should we look for in an evangelist or these kinds of things? Like, you know, um, what's a sign that a company or a market is ripe for um, an evangelist function? I think that when you're a startup company, everybody's an evangelist to a certain degree, right? That's why you joined. The co-founders, you know, that we had were the definitely the chief evangelists when they started this organization. But you hit a certain level of growth when you need to keep that evangelism spirit alive, but you want to focus more on how do you become a great operational organization, for instance. And there becomes a moment when it's sort of untenable, I think, for a founder of an organization to have all of those different hats that they wear at once. And I think it's in that moment that you sort of realize we need to create or craft a role either like this or specifically this. I also think that when you're developing a new market, if you don't constantly have someone that's out in front, that's sort of paving the trail of need for this thing that you're trying to put in the market, it's going to be really difficult to, to sell that thing. And when I was first starting in this role and the sales capacity that I started in, in each call, you'd have to convince people that there was a market need. You'd have to convince them that you were the, the, the Shangri-La answer to that market need. You'd have to convince them to spend money on this problem that they didn't think that they had. Like there's all these barriers. And there's no line item for it as a consequence. Absolutely not. You know, we never have a line item right now for school district recruitment. Like there's no role for it. There's no organizational structure around it. There's no money attached to it. Um, and so you have this huge challenge of like, you don't want to get to that first meeting and nobody's ever thought about this as a problem or a concept. And so that's what I really think as a chief evangelist. And when you're a company thinking about creating one of these roles, do you need that person that's out in front? That's, that's creating this market demand. That's educating the market around these kinds of needs. And again, I try to think of my role when I'm out doing that work as pretty agnostic around who would be the provider that you'd want to use. It helps that we're really the only provider that's doing this work in the K-12 space, at least nationally and with any brand recognition. Um, but again, like there are other providers that could do this work for you. Um, but I feel confident enough that if I teach you that this is a need, that you will eventually find Schoolmint to be the ultimate provider that you want to utilize. But I'm not going in saying Schoolmint, Schoolmint, Schoolmint. And I think that's Again, when you think about what is it, what state is a company in and, and where do they want to be and what does the path look like to get there? If you need that front person that's out there carving that path of customer need, that's when you need a chief evangelist. Really well said. And you hit to like two big ideas that we speak to here quite a bit, which is 
Um, you know, the founder is the evangelist. I mean, to recruit the first employees, to raise uh, some money, however that's uh, however that's happening, um, to kind of persist. But at some point, as you already observed, um, especially if it's not a strength or passion area, there's certainly there are some founders that stay in an evangelist role and they hire all the other stuff around them. But like, if that's not your thing, like I've worked for people like founders who um, that's just not their thing. They're not out in front. They're not they don't thrive in a in a you know a lot of communication channels that we uh, maybe really enjoy or or the nature of the conversation or this type of a thing. And so if you're if you're looking at as the organization grows, you're going to take some hats off so you can focus on your own strengths and put other people to be in their position of strength. You very often will need an evangelist, especially in to go to the second point. This idea that. The market's not prepared to buy. It's viable. The people who've bought it love it. They say wonderful things about it, but we need to, you know, prepare the market to buy. We need to actually legitimately generate demand where de demand doesn't exist right now. Um, I would also kind of blend those a little bit too to say, as you really um, thoughtfully observe there, um, there's no good reason for a salesperson to get on a call with a customer who has no idea um, about any of this right? Like that doesn't put them in their best position to win. And in fact, if you can assign the right person, there's someone has the right passion, talent, strength, knowledge, expertise, relationships, et cetera, they're doing their specialty. And then the salesperson can come in and do their specialty. Um, because it, it's impossible to hire a team of salespeople who are all equally capable of doing the evangelism or the pre-sale or the, you know, we're going to generate demand on the call situation. You know, they're essentially experts at demand capture um, going back all the way to the top. Okay, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I love your story. You're absolutely in the right seat, in the right organization, in the right market. I'm just really excited for you and what you all are doing. Um, before I let you go though, Matt, um, what is something you find yourself evangelizing in your own personal life? Uh, traveling to Mexico. Um, my my husband and my family, I'm sure, are 100% sick of me saying that. Um, but I have an absolute love of being uh, in a Spanish-speaking only area uh, with uh, native foods and uh, away from other tourists. Um, I absolutely love being in Mexico. And I, if you are anywhere near me, and you talk about going on vacation, I am going to convince you that going to rural Mexico is the place to be. Um, and uh, I absolutely love it. And so I'm, I'm glad you asked that question at the end because uh, again, anybody that knows me uh, that's listening to this is going to get a good laugh out of that because it is absolutely true. I love it. And there's a the big gap between I'm passionate about something and I am evangelizing it is exactly what you just said. As soon as the topic of vacation comes up, I've got ideas for you. <laughs> um, is this, uh, are there like a couple spots that you prefer over and over or do you just like, you know, next year, these are a couple places I might like to get to. Like, are you all over the, all over the nation or are you like, um, you have a couple spots you prefer? There's a couple spots that I love. I, I almost am. I almost don't want to tell this group so that we don't have too you many don't people. have to. <laughs> um, I, I will happily share it. Um, most people know the Yucatan Peninsula for Cancun and Tulum, but there's a whole nother side to the peninsula that is very sleepy uh, beach villages that have very few people that speak English uh, with some of the best seafood and the nicest folks around. Um, you can travel inland into what are absolute beautiful jungles and see ancient archaeological sites that 
you your brain does not process correctly and it is not Chichen Itza. Um, they are small places that when you show up, when they open, you are the only person there. And it is awe-inspiring and it, it makes me feel very connected to, uh, you know, the human experience. And uh, for those that have never been to that part of the world, uh, you could DM me on LinkedIn and I'm happy to share a litany of recommendations for your next trip. Very good. Uh, so there's your gift. If you got to this point in the conversation, you just got a, a great gift. Um, so Matthew Coates uh, on LinkedIn, I already mentioned, schoolmint.com. Where else would you send anyone who's gotten to this point in the conversation and wants to learn more about you or your work? Yeah, those would be great places. Again, linkedin.com slash in slash Matt Coates, M-A-T-T-C-O-A-T-S would be how you'd find me professionally. Um, and again, would be happy to, to follow up with anybody. Awesome. I appreciate you, Matt. Uh, I really enjoyed this time and I hope you have a great evening. Thanks, Ethan. That wraps up this episode of Chief Evangelist. Thank you for joining us. And thanks to Ringmaster Conversational Marketing for helping bring these episodes to you. With any thoughts or questions about the Chief Evangelist role, message me on LinkedIn. I'm Ethan Butte, E-T-H-A-N-B-E-U-T-E. For show notes and more of these conversations, visit chiefevangelist.com.